Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jensen Karp. Thanks, everybody. This is awesome. Thank you. Uh, this is going to be a lot like Moby's event, so keep that in mind. It's going to be just like Moby's. A lot of vegan talk, a lot of EDM. Uh, I'm going to read really quick uh, a chapter about in my life when uh, I was this rapper and everybody wanted to work with me. One of the people who reached out immediately was uh, obviously the R&B singer Cisco. Uh, if you don't know Cisco, this is going to be a bad reading for you. Also, what are you doing here? Um, but uh, yeah, he wanted to work with me and I'm just going to read that out. That's what we're going to talk about. And we'll bring up Craig. Despite the off-putting start, Damon Elliott and I ended up recording a track together called His Hotness, predominantly using the weird way he yelled Hot Carl in the beat. As my first guest feature, Damon had Maya come in and sing the hook for a fee negotiated between her lawyers and the label. $15,000 in a co-production credit, though she never touched the actual backing track. That's like being called the chef for an entree you only put parsley on. I did get to meet her while she was half asleep on a couch after cutting her vocals, though. We talked about quesadillas, and I never saw her again. I basically paid $15,000 to shake my hand, sing for an hour, take a nap, and then talk to me about a specific Mexican delicacy she loves. Highway robbery aside, she sounded great on the song, and my mom was super impressed that I met her. And with the added pressure of having a platinum artist on the hook, I wanted the verses to double as an introduction to Hot Carl, something that could establish who I was if someone was only listening because of Maya. Eminem was releasing more and more music, and our voices were becoming more and more inseparable. I saw this as a perfect opportunity to differentiate myself, thinking Interscope's investment in the song would guarantee it a place in the marketplace. However, if you ask me, the main reason Maya's contribution sounded dope was my co-writer on the track, a guy named Marquise the Kid Collins, one of the geniuses behind Cisco's Thong Song, a track that was nominated for four Grammys, which coincidentally is four more than any Bob Marley song. I'm going to keep doing this when needed. The results weren't quite God only knows by the Beach Boys. We rhymed bum bum with dum dum. But we worked so well together that he immediately invited me to another writing session. This time not for Hot Carl, but for Cisco's new album. How I fit into Cisco's creative team was something I couldn't yet grasp, but I knew I wasn't going to question it, especially after I found out that the writing session would take place in Cisco's San Fernando Valley mansion. As an avid Drew Hill fan, nothing in the world could stop me from taking this gig. My college sweetmates were impressed with this new development in my career and became obsessed with telling me their theories, largely fueled by online rumors about how Cisco was gay. It was all opinion or third-hand gossip, but they were adamant about their speculation and made me promise I'd share every detail when I got home. You should hook up with them, my fratty friend suggested. <laughs> Cisco's house was enormous, surrounded by columns and grounded in expensive marble. The recording studio was outside in a shed next to the impressive swimming pool, hidden like a doomsday prepper's gun arsenal. The kid and I worked in the studio for most of the day, with Cisco coming in to say hello a few times over the course of the afternoon. He couldn't have been nicer, even complimenting his hotness, which the kid had played for him earlier in the week. He thanked me for working on his music and then excused himself to run some errands. In other words, Cisco and I were homies. Since the studio was in the backyard, when I had to go to the bathroom a few hours later, the kid informed me that I'd have to go back into the main house. He explained that the restroom would be easy to find, mentioning stairs and Cisco's room, then a sharp right. As I made my way through the house, reciting the directions in my head, I realized that I had stepped foot in Cisco's bedroom. It wasn't quite the sexy master layer you'd expect from the man who once sang Unleash the Dragon, clearly not referencing his love for the novels of George R.R. R. Martin. It actually looked like any room you'd find in a college dorm. Every item reeked of Ikea. The bed sat on the floor like he couldn't afford a frame. Dirty laundry was scattered everywhere. Cisco may have sung about taking a girl home with him from the club, but I couldn't imagine she stayed long. I laughed it off and continued to walk where I saw the nearby toilet. On my final step, I noticed stacks and stacks of DVDs flanking the sides of Cisco's big screen television. And as a movie buff myself, my interest was piqued. It looked like he was cataloging movies the same way the ghost librarian from the beginning of Ghostbusters cataloged books. As I got closer, I was shocked to see that they were all pornos. Maybe 50 titles. Although it felt like a violation, I knew that if I told my college friends I'd have an opportunity to see what type of porn Cisco watched, apparently in bulk, but hadn't investigated, they would haze me until graduation. So I slowly tiptoed to the stacks, picked up a handful from the top, and focused on the pictures. The pornos were heterosexual, straight as an arrow. But then I squinted my eyes and noticed a detail I almost missed. Each movie was actually a gangbang. 
I relentlessly checked every DVD. I was frantic, like Claire Danes, figuring out a terrorist plot on Homeland. And I realized that almost all of the movies around me were flicks where dozens to hundreds of men were having sex with one woman. Yes, they were heterosexual porn movies, but they also contained a ton of dick. Like a hundred to one dick to vagina ratio. What was I to do? I knew too much. I quickly went to the bathroom and tried to understand what this odd collection of smut meant with regard to my roommate's gossip. There I was, standing in an Encino bathroom at a mansion that was furnished like a messy model home, contemplating the meeting of gangbang porn found in Cisco's bedroom. I heard a loud noise from downstairs, which I quickly thought to be a garage door opening. Terrified that the R&B crooner had returned home, I successfully ran downstairs to rejoin the kid for work without bumping into anyone, all the while attempting to forget what I had just seen. But before I made my way back into the studio, I took some souvenirs. When I got back to school, my friends hounded me for juicy gossip. I told them Cisco was polite and hospitable, and that sadly we didn't come up with one song that had the slightest chance of making his album. I also let them know that I saw stacks and stacks of pornos, but that each were heterosexual, proving their assumptions wrong. They seemed disappointed as I left the room. Over the next month, I would quietly leave gangbang DVDs stolen from Cisco's house in each of their rooms when they weren't home and wait to hear anything about the discoveries. They never said a word. <laughs> Funny thing is, they'll never know those pornos were from Cisco's personal collection, discs I had to hide in my waistband, now finding their way into a college dude's masturbation rotation. No matter the nature of Cisco's sexuality, my tough guy roommate sure seemed like jerking off to the same stuff. Cisco. Um, I'm so excited to have this, this friend of mine, an amazing comedian, join me. I, I, when you think hip-hop, you think Greg Barrett. Uh, that's what everyone says in the comedy circle. Um, and I'm just so happy to have him. And uh, everybody, Greg. It's Greg Barrett. That was really good, man. That oh, was really thank you, good. Greg. That was really good. Thanks, guys. I can look up now. Yeah. Um, I think Cisco watches... Um, Gangbangs because he's lonely. <laughs> you think not that lonely more... enough to watch porn? I just think he wants to belong to a group. We all do. I think we all do. And I, he sees a group that he could connect with. I but do he's like too the shy idea. to go to one. So I do like just... the idea that you watch porn to feel like people are with you. <laughs> I watch yeah. the ones with discussions because it's like it's yeah. friends. Right. Well, you know how like we all like the TV show Friends because we felt like they were our yeah. friends. I think he feels that way about gangbang pornographic videos. Yeah, seems fair. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about that, are we? Well, we could be. Uh, this, is a co- this is my copy of Jensen's book. Um, my dog ate it literally two or three hours after I got it. Um, that's how good it is. It does look, it does look like... That's how good it is. It look, all the way. It looks like Doc Brown got struck by lightning when he was holding my book. Yes, yes. Um, it's a really good book if you haven't read it, and I hope that you will, I hope that you will buy a copy of it tonight and get it signed by Jensen because it's really sweet and funny and interesting, and if you're like me, um, you, I, I, don't, I don't know anyone in rap, let alone Jensen. Um, no, I mean, truly, if I'm being honest, you know, I had an LL Cool J record that I felt guilty about listening to because I felt like I was appropriating culture. <laughs> like, I genuinely felt like, this is not for me, and if people see me, they're going to think I'm a phony, and, but I am that type of guy. So, that was an LL Cool J joke. <laughs> I died a sudden death. When I was explaining your book to my friend Travis on the way out here, I said, it's like a white eight mile. And then he said to me, Eminem is white. But that's kind of what it reads like in a way, a very sweet Jewish Calabasas version of eight mile. Like there's a, a similar trope. So I want to talk, uh, let's, I want to talk to you about the beginning of the book. I want to talk about the very first, your very first experience, which it seems took place at a bar mitzvah, right? Yeah, like all, all rappers, same thing, yeah. Well, here's my question for you. So two, uh, first off, I want you to tell the story of that, about how that was sort of where you started your show business career. Yeah. But secondly, my daughters are 11 and 14 and they love hip hop. And we don't listen to hip-hop in the house. They both dance, but that's not where they get it from. When, one day we were driving along, and they were singing to... I can't remember what it was. Yeah, Bugatti. Course. I know you know the Bugatti Oh, Bugatti. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ace Hood. The fact that you know those lyrics are crazy to me. Um, those are great. That's a great song, the Bugatti song. So <laughs> relatable. How many of us have woken up in a Bugatti? Like, oh my God, again, here we are. I've been having sex with women from different races. Anyway, my daughters know the lyrics without really knowing what the songs are, but I said, where did you hear that? And they said, at a bat, bat mitzvahs. Yeah. That they hear. So what's the connection with Jewish rites of passage, rap, and you? 
Well, a lot. Uh, when I was when I was growing up in, in Woodland Hills, uh, I did third third grade. I did UB Illin uh, for my talent show, and people were disgusted. It was like a disgusting situation. Uh, people walked up to my mother and said, "What is this?" In the most disgusting tone, I grabbed my crotch and put my hand up. Like I did everything I'd seen on Soul Train. I did it in front of my uh, incredibly white elementary school, and uh, there was really no place for me to rap. Uh, I was I was bullied in middle school, and sort of uh, I know this is the world's smallest violin. Lynn, but 50 kids uh, hunted me down around the school sort of telling me I wanted to be black uh, because I wanted to rap. And I, I, it was something that I loved so much and I just never wanted to give up the art form. But the one place you could go to hear rap music is, is bar mitzvahs, which makes very little sense. But it's because the DJs back then were from the city. No DJs were from Calabasas and did bar mitzvahs. So you would be able to get, you know, during dinner, you would get the chicken dance or, you know, like a Sade instrumental. But then as the night went on, the DJ would throw on Tone Loke or he would throw on something and then you'd get a little harder and then it was it takes two. And then and then near the end, you have like a, a Dr. Dre clean version on and you're just like, OK, I'm happy. Uh, and then I'm stoked. So that would happen all the time. And at one bar mitzvah, I, I, I was sitting at the table and mimicking the words to The Choice Is Yours by Black Sheep, which was my favorite song at the time. And I just mimicked along the words, and a guy comes up to me, and he says, uh, if I give you a microphone, would you rap into it? And I was like, yes. Uh, I, br- wait, wait, wait. Let's break that moment. Yeah. How, how, what gives you the confidence at 12 to, like, I noticed in the book one of the themes is, then I just crushed him in yeah. a rap battle. Like, from a very young age, yeah. you were certain you could do things that most people would be terrified to do. Because what, what, was, what was, the, what was the, the impetus? Because all my heroes had no fear. I mean, if you were raised on hip-hop, it, right. it's, it's, it's all forced and I'm the best one ever. You can't be second best um, in hip-hop. And, and even at 12, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm best. Uh, and, and that was what I was down to do. So when someone came up to me on microphone, I, number one, didn't understand I'd be bullied more, which is just stupid. Uh, but then, but then I, knew, I knew it was time, like, yeah, I've been doing this in my mirror in my house for, mo- you know, for months. I, the same song, I know all the breath patterns. I know where Drez moves. I know how he moves his hands. I can do all those things here at this bar mitzvah. And and, uh, and I did it, and little did I know that would turn into any. I mean, who would think that would turn into anything? It's very uh, strange. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. But I read on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I almost I could have left at the running man at the bar mitzvah. I couldn't get. I don't get this guy at all. Still would have got the book deal. Yeah, I was compelled. Yeah, and then a guy, and then a guy. Yeah, the guy who, who gave me the microphone was uh, impressed, and he said, "Where are your parents?" Because I think he wanted to get the pedophile thing out of the way first, and then <laughs> and then he was like, "Can I work with him on something?" And then he slowly worked on on me and my friend Ricky, uh, who I grew up with, the only black kid in my middle school. Uh, we created a group right there, and we worked on it for for weeks in Van Nuys in a dance studio, and then we opened. For iced tea, the three months later. Unreal, unreal. Same. So, it's safe to say then that anybody here who's doing an open mic or playing at a regular club, you're blowing it. Get to a, get to a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah as soon as you can. Yeah, bar mitzvahs love it when you just do a tight five right up top, a tight five comedy monologue. But it makes sense. And then there's management in the there's all kinds of industry there. They have to go. They have to go. They won't go to Largo, but they will go. Yeah, Lauren Michaels walks up. Right, they have to be there it's during the day usually, yeah, right? Yeah, or in the crazy. early evening. Yeah, yeah, all of Three Arts is there. They're just sitting around. <laughs> I'll rep you. Okay. Okay, so then you started a very, um, again, at fucking at 12. Yeah. All right, I'm going to read some lyrics. Do you mind if I read some lyrics? That's fine. They will not be, because um, Jensen said he's not going to rap at all, so I'm going to just read this uh, just so you get an idea of what. So he had a, a, a two-person crew. Just mm-hmm. two, those two guys right there, they are right there. I think those take My mother, who's here, she treated my rap career the same way Afini Shakur treated Tupac's. She kept everything. Like, in case they make a poetry book about me after I die, or the Grammy Museum wants to do a, a full display for me, she has everything. So, there's every picture taken of me when I was 12 in a rap group wearing cross colors holding a baseball bat. All of those are in the book. Yeah, I mean, you really do look like a punk in this. <laughs> yeah, a real piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, you, it's funny who you've turned out to be. Yeah, it's lucky. Um, Okay, so here, this is just the kind of thing they were doing, which is, in, which when, given that he's a 12-year-old boy, is pretty intense. Um, this one's dedicated to all the mental hip-hop midgets and uh, another sad creation. This was a diss song against another bad creation. It's very yeah, easy to get Another sad to. creation. Yeah. Do you see? But gee, this he, is where I got my Peabody. That's how the... That's how, this is where the battle starts. Yeah. Um, swinging the trigger of the gat at 12. <laughs> Small little young guys make you want to shoot that. All right? All right. Excel's in the house, set the record straight. Finally, ABC gets to see their fate. Uh, I know that just, there's a lot, these are long, as most rap songs are, so I won't, I won't go much longer. Um, 
We hate to see you dancing and jumping around. I shoot my gat at the playground. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I knew. And then he says, and then he says, these are my favorite lyrics because they're written down. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and that's, it says that in there. Yeah, well, for, I'm a stickler for honesty. Yeah, right. I like details. And then did you say chorus time? Yeah. Uh, okay, and so this next one's that the, he said chorus time. I like that. Yeah. Just call out the parts. Um, uh, you might have invented that. And then what is the, and then is this next thing, is that the chorus? Baby, we can do it? Yeah, or, I mean, or man. Is that an ad lib? No, that, that's an ad lib, but it's in the hook. Now, what is the, okay. Okay. It's, it's a baby. Who's we baby? can do it. Take the time. Oh, tub. got it. It's yeah, just yeah, that. yeah. We like we mimic that. Got it. How oh, did it oh, not that's break? Great. How did that's that not work? Killing at the playground. Yeah. It's the K to the I to the double L I N. Killing at the playground is what I'm saying. So, yeah. I also claim that I had sex so? with. I had. I claim that I had sex with Aisha in that song. <laughs> I was 12. It's disgusting. No, it's incredible. Yeah. I didn't have that kind of. Bo- I literally like. I, uh, fuck. I had barely. I didn't have friends then. This is incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. I just knew like that because I look like a Boy Scout. I knew that saying those things were all that would get me any attention. Like, I knew that if I went but out there... you knew that at 12. Like, you, yeah, knew, you knew instinctually... Yeah, like I used the word postmodern. Be... Yeah, I was like, these are postmodern lyrics, I would, like, tell our manager. And he's like, what are you talking about? Uh, but I knew that, like... I knew that saying those things... Like, if I went out there and was like, uh, everyone, in my, everyone in my neighborhood's parents have jags. <laughs> no one cares. So I figured, I was like, at 12, I can get away with a lot more than when I grow up and right. I'm an adult. So I figured... At 12, the very startling image of a kid saying he's going to kill another bad creation, have sex with the fictitious woman they talk about in a song, I knew that was, like, crazy. I knew that that would get people's attention. I knew that would get Ice-T to walk over to us. I knew all that stuff would happen. It's incredible. It's weird. It's incredible. I wrote my first song in college at 20, and the chorus was, I'm taking you on a hell ride to death. (laughs) Just about a date. It's a love song. Yeah, it was about a date that went bad. Um, uh, Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about battle rap, just in general. Like, how do you um, tell me? Like, where are we in the culture? Where are we at during this time? Like, how how close is this to um, to the riots here? It's the same time, exact same time. Yeah, we um, when when extra large the group with with Ricky and I when we were working with Ice T uh, and Donald D, uh, they were great. My mom would drive me there on weekends to a uh, admitted Crips house. He was a crip. He told me that, told us that. Uh, and then she would drop me off and she would stick around and she'd go, oh, I'm not going to leave. Uh, and then eventually after like three or four, he was like, you can leave. You can go. And she goes, well, I don't want to. I'll just go get you guys some lunch. And I was like, it's going to be fine. And then she went and got us in and out. And uh, while she was gone, uh, a guy showed me a gun. <laughs> and then Donald D showed me how to put on a condom over his fingers. Uh, that happened in 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Um, yeah, so they were working with us and... Uh, and it was working great. And then they, then the riots happened in the same week. And then we had our promotional photos taken, uh, which you'll see in the book. And Donald D convinced us to take those photos in burnt down rubble uh, within the riots. Uh, so I'm a white kid from Woodland Hills, California, Calabasas. And he had me in a beanie and cross colors holding a bat and breaking into liquor stores, uh, which you'll see the pictures there in the book. Uh, and I yep. knew immediately that that was over the line. I knew that talking about another bad creation and killing them, that works. Taking photos in rubble of the riots was no good. Uh, and, and, and that was immediate. And then, and then Ice-T, we didn't leave immediately. Ice-T then started doing press conferences about the Bloods and Crips working together. And then I was like, I think it's not a good idea for me anymore. I think this, the, the white suburban kid's probably not going to fit on the roster. And then me and Everlast, both of us sort of got pushed away. And did you, at that point, consider not doing it anymore? Like, was there... Because I think a lot of people around the riots, at least I remember, like, it was hard. I mean, it wasn't hard. But you felt bad just being white, almost. Like, did you ever feel like, like this is not... It's gotten too heavy. Especially, well, yeah, yeah. Especially given the kind of rap that, that sort of evolved out of that. Yeah. No, I, I, scene. I went away. Yeah, no, I went away. Until right. uh, I got... I went away until, uh, until high school. It became sort of a weird parlor trick every once in a while in my school. Uh, because my, my high school ended up resulting in, like, uh, incubus... Uh, and Lincoln Park. I was going to ask you, that was my big question. I was not, we're never going to even talk about Kanye. We're just curious how Incubus were. <laughs> well, we could talk about like to hang out with. We could do an hour on Hoobastank if you guys want. They're from yes. high school, too. Yes, please. Uh, please, please. And so, uh, yeah, they, they were like, they, they were coming out of my school. So the rap stuff wasn't, that wasn't really, it wasn't 
I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Like, until right. I got to college, and then people were interested in what I was doing. But in high school, I would hide it. And then when a city kid transferred, they'd be like, go get Jensen. <laughs> and then I'd battle him, and then the kid would transfer back home. Right. Uh, right. And that happened numerous times. And so that was the only time that I really rapped or battled in high school. Because of sort of the weird experience in middle school, and then also being like, I don't want to be bullied anymore. I wear cross colors. I should just stop asking how many members of Wu-Tang there are to everyone. I think it's a trivia question. No one cares. Yeah. How, how do you have a natural gift for... Because I only know you post, right? I, yeah, I, you I've only, only know comedy, you for a short yeah. Time. yeah. Um, and you're also in person. You're, you're lovely. Thank you. Uh, and I've met your mom before. Yeah. Because uh, she comes to all your things, I believe. Same yeah, as the old days, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, what a hard life for her. Um, <laughs> she seen me bomb. How do you, but how did you get, how are you, like, in, insulting people is difficult, I think. And I, and I mean, as well, let me comment, tell you about you then. No, 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 no. Could you, could you, like, do me, a, just t- take me out? Like, let's say we're going to. No, I mean, there's so many things. Just a couplet, there's so many things that rhyme with Brian Setzer. Do you know what I mean? Yes. 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 There's so many things I could say about that. We're, we're all not that into you. He wrote the book. Yeah, he did yeah, the Sex yeah. the City. That's all right. right. That's Jesus all right. Christ. That's all right. Yeah, was, my God. Anyway, okay. those are the two. No, it's, it's top better, of my head, too. It's better that those folks aren't here. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, but were you always just... Because you're, you're not... There, there's, you wrote some mean shit. Yeah. Really mean shit. Yeah. I mean, you made... You, like, I could see it makes some people cry. And then you have... Enemies in the book. There's people that you use lyrically. Two yeah. of which. One is Tyrese. Yeah, he hates. Uh, me. Seems to get it. Uh, uh, yeah, and then the other one is Queen Latifah. Yeah, she why? Hates me. What, what? What is the? Why? <laughs> well, why com- did you choose those people? Also, it comes from like a place of love. Tyrese really. I was on the radio and I was winning this contest called the Roll Call, which was here in LA. And, and every day I would battle three to four people over the phone, and that's how I got my second. That's how I got the record deal. That's how I got the million dollars um, from Interscope. And so I would battle people every single day. Champion before me had ten days, uh, and then I ended up having forty-three, which is like bonkers. And it was I was I was like a monster. I like smelled blood every day. I was like Rocky hitting meat. It was like the greatest run of my life. I couldn't lose. It was it was just this this string, and uh, I. I, I just one day they started having me come in the studio just because I looked like I did and they go okay we're going to have you today rap 20 bars after you're done I, I, can't, I can't even come up with 3 to 4 every day and they were like you're going to do 20 and so I would have to freestyle it live and so at one point I said this next line is going to start some beef and then in my head I go I have nothing I have nothing I have nothing and I, I have nothing and then I go I'd rather die than have a song with Tyrese literally no reason that's all that came out of my head uh, and I thought it was funny and then I got a lot of uh, calls that night. Why do you hate Tyrese? I made up reasons. I think that's funny. I was like, he stole a girlfriend. He, he uh, doesn't leave tips. All my friends are the waitresses. I made up a bunch of shit. And then, uh, and then the next day I did it again because I thought it was funny. And then the next day I did it again. And then I got called in to the studio early and they said, I have bad news. <laughs> they said, Tyrese called and he, he wants to know why, why you're doing this. <laughs> And I was like, what? And they were like, he wants to know why. It wasn't even he wasn't mad. He just wanted an explanation. And I was like, oh, don't tell him. This is a terrible idea. And I don't know if Jay Love is here. He was supposed to come, and that would be a big thing for me. But he was, uh, I haven't seen him much, but he was the producer of the Baker Boys uh, show back then. And uh, he was like, no, you have to take this serious. Uh, I was like, no. Uh, I wanted to make T-shirts immediately that just says, Tyrese hates me. Uh, and so, I, so I, he convinced me to not say it, and then uh, I did it anyway. Uh, and then, for the rest of my career, I, I made fun of Tyrese in almost every song, and I never heard, I never heard again. Just other than that one day that he wanted to, to beat me up. Uh, and then, in, in the book, you'll read when I do finally meet him. It's a little strange. Yeah, I mean, there's so many great stories. I meet him years later. I want to just read a little. Just so bit. they know, he was getting a mani pedi. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's important, important to know the detail of where how, I met him. So how so how how real do you think rap battles are ever? Like, given that that was sort of a thing that came as, because of a rhyme. Oh my god! Like, if Tyrese I mean, came up to me, I'd be like, "I'm sorry." Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he will yeah. beat me up. I don't know if you've seen me. I'm right. Yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. scrawny man. Tyrese has a Starbucks in his house. Do you guys know that? But is there <laughs> yeah, Tyrese has a Benihana and a Starbucks in his house. That's real. As you should. And I would be like, can I hang out with you? you, even should. if he was mad at me? I'd be oh like, I want to go to your Benihana. Yeah, you just, yeah I was just jealous, bro. I yeah. got nothing. Yeah, I, I got nothing. nothing in my place. Yeah, they're not real, a man. Target bag, but I don't have anything <laughs> on brand like that. That's incredible. I didn't care, no. I, if any of these people would have come up to me, I wouldn't have had a problem. Why Queen Latifah? Uh, that's out of love, man. I don't know. I mean, I... I, I 
I, I like her so much, and then her career was so weird. It was like, you know, she was doing UNITY, and then it was like she was in like a Pantene commercial. It was just like a weird, like in her life, and then, you know, I made fun of her talk show and made fun of all these things, and uh, reportedly, I don't know, again, another person who didn't want to be around me was Queen Latifah. <laughs> I didn't make friends. Well, I mean, you were mean. Yeah. <laughs> You're a mean person. Yeah. I've read your mean things. Well, now I'm doing this thing on James Corden where we have celebrities battle each other. It's me and Eliza Skinner. We write these battles for people. And we did David Schwimmer versus uh, James. Oh, right. And we did uh, Anne Hathaway versus James. And then I, I, maybe it's because I'm 36 and I have friends who have kids or so. I'm just like, I don't want to make fun of them. And then I get real into it. <laughs> and then it gets real mean. This is a passage I like from the book. Yeah. Um, He was talking so fast that his words were difficult to decipher. From what I could make out, he wanted to bring me back into the studio and write a Broadway musical (laughs) that he envisioned based on a Slick Rick song called Children's Story. He rapped part of the classic track to me and explained his vision for how uh, it would play out on stage. And this is part of a bigger phone call from Will I Am. (laughs) So can you give us a little... A little backdrop on yeah, that, I mean, a little... I Will mean, and I had known each other... Sounds like a really good musical. Yeah, I mean, he's just full of Look great out, ideas. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. He's Slick a, Rick. He, also, he was also a hologram on CNN. Yeah, so. Right. That's so, right. Like, so my thing is, is with Will is, like, we, I came up with Will uh, when we were younger, and, and he was the gatekeeper. That was the coolest person you could be in music, which in, in West Coast hip-hop, which is, like, crazy to hear now. But he went by the name Will at 1X, Will 1X. He was in a group, uh, the At Band Clan, that was signed to Eazy-E. That's, like, the craziest thing. You know what I mean? Like, I had been managed by Ice-T, but he was signed, and uh, they were great dancers, and they would go to Ballistics in, in Los Angeles and go to uh, Radiotron and all these different shows and he was just the dude if he didn't like you you just like kill yourself uh and he was a backpack he was the backpack king that was the dude who would tell you if you were good or not and so like when i ended up meeting him later in life i still treated him like that so like when he would when he was like trying to ask me things i'd be like, yes will yes i'd be so even when i had this big deal and his group was falling apart i still wanted his acceptance so badly and so I would pretty much do whatever. I mean, they were getting close to getting dropped. Uh, they had a bad second record, and I still wanted to put them on my album because uh, I loved them so much. And so it was really sad uh, when, you know, I-, I was sort of involved as far as hearing early music and helping a little bit on uh, classics like Let's, Let's Get Retarded, <laughs> which, you know, is Let's Get Started. Uh, and so we, <laughs> so I, I was involved in that. We would get drunk at a club and then go back and record and do fun stuff. Um, and then later in life, he, when I gave up on music and he was very interested in my writing, uh, like what I do kind of now, uh, he was early on understanding that that would be something that I would do professionally. So he had me come into the studio, into his studio. I spent a month with him. I would listen to him produce songs for Common and uh, who else was and Fergie and all these people and I would just listen to Lady how, Lumps yeah they did Lady did Lumps did you have anything to do with Lady Lumps no I would say, we're all going to split if that's yeah <laughs> I, no I, much worse in this movie we wrote so we wrote a movie together uh, that would go with his solo album uh, and it didn't work out in Interscope and a bunch of other people were like this isn't going to work and that's fine uh, he also didn't pay me which also could have been the title um, <laughs> but he uh, would then later apologize so the call you're talking about was years later he called me and if you know Will uh, sorry uh, also he talks very fast so everything is very ADHD sort you don't really know what he's saying but Will wanted me to write a musical a Broadway musical based on the uh, Slick Rick song Children's Story and then for 20 minutes he rattled off every song and what because you can't stop him it's just like a it's like a machine Uh, and then at the end he was like are you going to do this and he was very excited and I just went no uh, and that's basically pretty much the last time we've talked. He wow. sort of he sort of messes with me a little bit when we see each other, like in passing. He's not a very nice person to me still. Uh, but that was the last. I mean, that was the last moment we had. All right, I'm going to throw some. We'll get some short because I'm, I'm sure everyone wants to ask you questions. So, uh, you can just give me some few sentence uh, yeah. answers to these. Sort of a word association. Uh, toothbrush. So toothbrush was this kid who went to high school with us. He's my favorite. I wish he was here tonight. Are you here, Toothbrush? No, he's not here. He's dead. Yeah. Oh, he's in jail. No, I'm kidding. I made that up. He's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's totally I was fine. Like, he's I definitely read not the dead. Book. I don't remember no, that. No, no, I would have been heartbroken. He's not dead. He's oh my not God. dead. Especially, there's a, there's, especially after what you did to him. No, he's fine. There's a Facebook group for our high school's 20th anniversary, like 20th reunion. 
And someone brought him up randomly without knowing the book exists. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they were like, I wonder if he's going. And I was like, uh oh. <laughs> Didn't really think he'd come. Uh, anyway, he was a kid I went to high school with uh, who transferred to our school uh, from a city school. And that was when you wake up the gimp from the box. Like, I was like ready to rap. And they were like, he says he can rap. And I was like, all right. Uh, and then we went out and I destroyed. It was the worst murder scene ever because I went first and it was just. You took him down, huh? Uh, I told him to transfer back. We talked about the toothbrush. Oh, my God. I talked about his parents. I talked about his teeth. It was just a nightmare. In the book, Jensen sets up the fact that he he, he had a toothbrush in his mouth the way Nelly wore a Band-Aid on his head. Yeah, as oh, like sorry. A, that is a, an important as detail. Like a, as like a thing. Like, that was his thing. Like, yeah. I'm the toothbrush guy. Just like Nelly was a Band-Aid guy. Yeah. Or like a toothpick. Or Ella like a tooth- one leg up. Yeah, like a toothpick. He wore, he had a toothbrush in his mouth like a toothpick. At least Ella I just got off a bicycle. But the Band-Aid, <laughs> no. that thing should heal, man. Man, you should go to a doctor if that thing hasn't healed. It's been two years you've had that band-aid on. Yeah, his hepatitis. Right. Uh, and so I um, battled him. He transferred home. He went back to his city school two weeks later, which is crazy. But it makes sense because everyone... You wrapped him back into his school. You yeah. Ra- you wrapped him out of school. He literally it, wrapped this kid into the ground and out of school. And what, every once in a while, I'll run into someone for, like recently from high school, and they were like, oh, you're writing a book about it. I was like, you can talk about toothbrush? Like, that's the one... It's amazing. Everybody's like, because you amazing. did something real fucked up to that kid. All right, Durst. Uh, Fred and... Not the murderer. Yeah. (laughs) He did it. He spelled Beverly wrong on two things. You guys know that. Um, Fred Durst uh, in 2000 was, you know, he was another gatekeeper, which is crazy to think. Um, And so he, you had to deal with him. That was... You guys know Fred Durst? I just want to make sure, I mean, just, they're young, the young people. I hope they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real yeah. cornerstone. He was in Puddle of Mud. Yeah. <laughs> kind of was, though. Uh, right. and so, they were all in the same band. Yeah. All of those dudes. Stained it was, Puddle it, of Mud. It was just actually a frat party. Yeah, it was. That's all it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if Date Rape had a soundtrack, it would be most of what Fred Durst put out in the 2000s. Too much? Okay. Uh, and, so, um, and so, Fred, you had to deal with him, and so he... Him and I had run-ins, too. I mean, which one do you like more, the radio one or the one where he... Just doesn't show. I'll tell you the radio one. Yeah. He just doesn't show up to a session we have together. That's a cool ending. Uh, anyway, so uh, I have my first song ever on the radio is going to be played on a Sunday night. I was known as just a battler, and then here comes my first song ever. And they're going to debut it on a Sunday night uh, on a show called Channel Zero on Power 106. And I'm so excited. My grandmother's finally going to listen. She's has her tape deck ready to press record. Uh, everyone I know is recording. Uh, it's It's a big deal for me. Also, because like, that's how you get a record deal. You can't, I mean, you can get a record deal from battling, but if you want real good money, show you can write a song. And so I had a good song. And so I, I was excited for it to play on power. And uh, I'm tuning in. I'm, oh God, I'm shaking. And they go, before we play the hottest rapper in L.A., Hot Carl, before we play the song, let's introduce a guest we did not see coming, a surprise guest, Fred Durst. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I was like, this is, now everyone's tuning in. This is going to be, what a great lead-in. Uh, and they, and they, they, go, uh, they go, all right, Fred, so uh, they talked to him a little bit about, like, you know, some dumb warp Tories on or something. And then they go, uh, so this next song we're going to play, do you know anything about this hot Carl guy? He goes, oh, man, the whole city's talking about him. Oh, my God, this is so great. I'm dying. This is so insane. I hope everyone's taping. And then he goes, uh, I'm excited to hear it. They go, great, let's play it. They play the song. I, my God, my mom calls me during it. It sounds so good. It sounds good. Everything sounds so natural. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then uh, they come back and they go, so, Fred, what do you think about it? And he goes, that dude's a nerd. <laughs> And they were like, what? And you hear the silence in the room, just like it just pulls the whole sadness. It's just like, and I feel my all sweat, just sweat coming down. And, uh, and he goes, and they go, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, not for me. That guy's offbeat. There's no one in rap who's ever sounded whiter. Not for me, garbage. And I was like, what did Fred Durst just do? Like, the fact, you know, because like now you laugh, whatever. But it's like at one time, that idiot red-hatted monster, he ran the industry. Like, he was a big deal in the industry. So... I was like, oh, my God, and I call the station. Because, again, there's the confidence thing, the number one thing. Yeah. I call the station. I go, put him on the phone. Oh, my God. And Lethal's like, and if DJ Lethal was the DJ of Limp Bizkit, but he was also the DJ in this, in, on this radio show. And he goes, I'm not putting you on the phone. You sound furious. I was like, because I am furious. And he was like, uh, well, I, I can't put you on the phone with him. This is going to ruin everything. And I was like, I, I don't have anything. He just ruined, he ruined everything. And so uh, he goes, well, we'll come back from a break. Uh, and I go, all right. So we hang up the phone, and, my, and I call, my mom calls. What is he doing? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. what it is. She goes, he sounds terrible. He sounds like a big monster. And I go, well, yeah, he is. He's a monster. I don't know what to say. And, and so they come back, and they go, uh, all right, well, we got a couple phone calls. 
uh, from people. Fred, did you want to clear up anything about Hot Carl? And he goes, yeah, man, I was, I was joking. I was kidding around. I like that guy. Actually, I'm thinking about signing him. And I was like, what? And I was like, okay. And now I'm thrilled again. Oh, God, okay. Uh, and so he goes, uh, so they go, uh, all right, so uh, let's go back. We got a couple phone calls there. One person called you a big fat monster. And I was like, oh, all right. And so they talk and they do their thing. And I, I hang up the phone. I go, this is great. My mom calls me back. <laughs> and I was like, uh, she's like, hey, now he likes you. And I was like, I know, this is so weird. Now I, she's probably he's going to sign you or something. I go, yeah. I go, they got a bunch of calls. She goes, yeah, I called him a big fat monster. <laughs> so my mother was calling the radio station to get mad at Fred Durst, uh, which would have ruined my career anyway if it was exposed. But yeah. So there's really good, I mean, you have to read it. There's great stories about you getting signed, about the record, about the songs. Um, yeah. Uh, other people pop in and out, including uh, Stephen Baldwin. Because yeah. um, you know everybody. I don't know him. You he just, worked on the. He did he, cocaine he in a closet during uh, Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas, which I was an intern Viva, for. Yeah. As his career was taking off, I was working. He was winning rap battle yeah. after rap battle. He was also on the set of you worked uh, as. A I PA, was the intern PA. Yeah. Intern PA on Flintstones uh, Viva Rock Vegas. Viva Rock Vegas. He won four Razzies. Right. They had changed Freds at that point, right? Yeah, we had uh, Mark Addy, who's now on Game of Thrones, but at the time was Full, full Monty. He was yeah. our Fred. We had Stephen Baldwin as Barney. He was it was great. Yeah. And I would rap, I would do the battle from the script closet. So the phone cord would go, would go from the desk to the closet where I would rap and hope no one walked by to hear me call someone fat on the radio. That was like, don't do that. Ugh. So what, um, so I think we should let people ask questions. I sure. They have some big ones. But um, what would you, what would you say, what do you want people to get out of reading this? Because these are, it's yeah. a, it's a, Writing a book about yourself, especially this far into your short life, um, you have a, an amazing story already, right? Thank you. So, but um, uh, it, and it's super compelling. But what do you want people to get from it? Because usually, when you write something, it's you're not just bragging. You could just go on a podcast to do that. I do well, I did time. fifty of those. So yeah. But I mean, what what is what would you like people to walk away uh, from the book feeling? For me, it's it's this ruined my life. Uh, this crushed me. Uh, at 36 years old, I'm a grown man with a lot of therapy who looks at this and, and is pretty excited about what happened now. And but for 10 years, I emailed the YouTube to get fo- you know videos down. I if people came up to me and said they were a fan, I literally thought, how can you be a fan of failure? That's that's what I thought. And so I would ignore it, and I would be offended by being called Carl. I would say my name is Jensen. Um, and to have a redefinition for me to be able to go back 10 years later and now be able to write a book to tell people that if there is a creative dead end for you, it's, you just make a U-turn. You know, it's not, no one cares, man. You don't walk into a room and people go, oh, that's a failed rapper. No one gives a shit. No one can, but, but I thought everyone cared. Toothbrush. Well, he cares. <laughs> we made him go home. <laughs> you know, Toothbrush now, you know, he's the uh, Secretary of Defense. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. No, that that yeah, is a surprise turn in the book. You yeah. don't see that coming at all. He might be homeless. Who yeah. Knows? But, you, but you, don't. I, you know, like in my opinion, it's like no one knows, like you don't, I, the only reason you're a failure is because you've, you have framed yourself that way. And in the book, for me to be able to go back and in a weird way, change the ending, which is the ending is now I have a book. And, and, and that becomes the success of something that I for so long was just dreaded talking about. And so I, I think the thing that I want people to come away with is that there really is no ending until you write it. And, and, and that was such an inspirational thing for me uh, to not... Um, to not feel like a failure, to actually... And also, like, I saw DJ walk in. I saw a bunch of people come from this project. Maddie's here, clearly, because I forced him to. But those things, to me, to be able, at 36 years old, with gray hair, and uh, to go back, and, and, I mean, you know, it ruined my life. But at 36, it's it's the best... this This is the best week of my life. And so to be able to redefine something that was just so painful and to be able to reframe it has been it's the best experience of my life oh that's awesome let yeah. me that prompts one last question i'll ask you one last question because i know you uh because i have a friend that was so into you it was scary i just talked about him a lot my friend angela would just talk about Jensen it's a dude unfortunately yeah yeah we'll just talk about Jensen. Or unfortunately because as you know jensen also has a gallery and he writes and all this stuff um but so i started following your twitter feed which yes. is really good thank you um so my, my question would be this um 
because you don't talk about it in, in the book. Obviously, besides listening to rap, you must have soaked up a lot of comedy. What is your, what's your relationship to comedy? And then we'll take questions from the floor. But what was your relationship to comedy growing up? Yeah, while I was doing rap, it was uh, just as important for me to catch Joe Piscopo's hour long or read the Dennis Miller book or anything that was an HBO special I was watching. And so um, when someone would come out like third base and they'd have a couple punchlines, I gravitated towards those punchlines. Or if like Ice Cube wrote a funny song, uh, like no Vaseline's funny to me. Uh, like I would immediately hone in on those. So like I was as influenced by the Far Side as I was Don Rickles. So and that's battle rap, right? So like if if you're not funny, you should just not battle. And so I knew that being focused on um, comedy and, and Steve Martin's books and, and Let's Get Small and this vinyl that I was buying as a kid, um, and then you know obviously SNL and, and things that I would watch religiously. Like though, if if there was you know, it's not like. Uh, the Fat Boys Disorderlies is a terrible movie. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't match yet. Nowadays, you have, you know, hilarious, ludicrous is hilarious. Uh, you know, so, like, there are there are rappers who are funny, but but then I had to sort of make it myself. Does that make sense? You had to be like, well, I'm going to watch, you know, I'm going to watch this Dennis Miller special, and then I'm going to go listen to the, uh, you know, Black Sheep record. Uh, you had to sort of make it yourself. So I found a middle ground between the two. Great. If that That's makes awesome. sense. I don't know. Uh, let's take some questions. If you guys have questions from the floor. Uh, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joseph. Hi. Lyle. Yes, nice to see you. Good to see you. Uh, and that's Nova, and she's an incredible rapper. Yes, Nova is great. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've made Nova go back into the music industry, even after I failed. <laughs> I walked her right into it. Yeah. Um, I just want to first say that you're really an inspiration to a lot of us. Um, well, actually, just me. I can't speak for everyone else in here. Well, let's just say everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, just how you were saying your point about reinventing yourself, and especially as a creative, it's important to, you know, look at your path and everything and see that, like you said, there's no dead end. Um, so that's Thank very, uh, it's very powerful. Thanks. But, um, I wanted to talk to you about your career with WWE. I know you yeah. wrote for like six months. Yeah, I wrote, uh, for you who don't know, this is probably another book. Uh, <laughs> I wrote Pro Wrestling in 2005. My first writer's room was that I wrote Monday Night Raw. So anytime like a steroided man came down to the ring and was like, on Sunday, it was written by this guy. Was <laughs> who couldn't be less physically... A wrestler. Um, and so, yeah, I did five months, six months of my life. It was uh, a nightmare in times and then a dream in others. Uh, you know, being able to work with Dusty Rhodes and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Roddy Piper and people that I knew on a first... Ted DiBiase, like, asked me to go to church with him. I didn't go, but like, what? Uh, and so, like, that that is, like, such... Uh, that was the adrenaline rush. But then traveling city to city and feeling a bit bullied there as well. Uh, and also, like, who am I going to relate to? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sort of... That's, that's what I was wondering, because yeah. I've actually tried to uh, get this job before. And they say you need five years of experience. Yeah. Or, or say, open for Snoop Dogg on your resume. There you go. That also seemed to get them to call me back. Yeah. <laughs> You know, from everything that you said, it's uh, sort of a toxic environment. Yeah. Like, the writers are in there, you know? Yeah, it's a little... I mean, again, this is... Mine's from 2005, so it may be better now. It could, could be better. Been. But but uh, it's it's a lot of travel, and also I can't travel. It's a bad thing for me. I woke up in a Target in Stanford, Connecticut from Ambient, so... Maybe another book. Maybe another book. Anyway. Thank you. Oh, no worries. I, I peed on my dog when I was on Ambien. That's right, you did. We yep. have that in common. Yes, that's right. We We've both had issues with Ambien. Yeah, that's right. Health, health issues, and then I woke up. My wife, I thought I was in the bathroom, uh, mm-hmm. as you do. And uh, my wife said, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. in that way. And then I came to, and I was just at the end of my bed. I'd only walked about two feet, and then was just peeing on the dog who didn't leave. Didn't leave. Because <laughs> it's an animal. It's an animal. Yeah. Why, why would it? But it was like, why? This is confusing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Questions? Anybody? Questions? This, uh, you can ask anything. Yeah, go ahead. Of the uh, the forty two uh, days that you were the the winner of the battle rats, did you find out later that anyone became like the game or someone? That's fun. The game is the only one I know. Oh really? Yeah, that's weird that you would say that. Yeah, the game is the only one I had found out later uh, was part of the people I destroyed. Well, maybe others, right? Like you, um, it's weird because like I went to the first Odd Future show at uh, 
um, the low end theory. So I had heard about them and was like, oh, I got to go to this. And then as I was leaving, Tyler was like, that's Hawk Carl. <laughs> and that was like, you know, 10 years later. So it was like if those dudes, Anwar, you know, those, those Casey Veggies knew who what, like that generation knew between that and NBA Live 2003, I think they sort of knew who I was. Um, but no one's going to be like, and you murdered me on the radio. Other than I think the game hinted to it once. He was, oh, I know that dude. He, he conquered me. Uh, and that was it. And he, wasn't, he was like, I wasn't good yet. And I was like, yet. <laughs> Anybody questions? Anyone? Did anyone read it? You did? Yeah. Uh, actually, I heard you say that uh, when you started, you were going to do a book, kind of like a short essay. Yeah. How, how would that have differed from? A lot. Uh, I pitched the book originally as a, a collection of short essays out of order, and then it would end the same exact way. So you wouldn't necessarily know where things were going to happen. The WWE story would have been thrown in. A couple things would have been thrown in to confuse you a bit and then have it all end and know that I survived and made it. Um, and uh, the book company, I mean, to Matt Inman's uh, credit, he was a, the editor at Crown, um, he, he was the first person to become very excited. It was always called Kanye West owes me $300. It was always called that. Although they liked Straight Out of Calabasas, which made me want to die. <laughs> they also liked Pretty Fly for a White Guy, which made me want to die. When, when I was Googling you today, there was a, there, one of the headlines was Jensen Karp writes a book about Kanye's early years. Yeah. Like, that's the, the whole total book. of the book. 350 He's pages. He's also in it. Yeah. At some point, Jensen's 350 in pages it. about Kanye's life. Yeah. You really did a lot of setup for that. Well, you know, it's a good story. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it was going to be an essay story. We were just like a bunch of stuff, and then Matt immediately. And I, and I found this out when, when you're selling the book is that chronological books sell much better. And so uh, he was like, you know, listen, we want it to be just your rap career, uh, and we want it to start from day one, and we want it to go to the end. And I was like, uh, okay. You know, I loved his passion for it, and that was re really what sold me on their company, was that he had an idea. And everyone else was like, they just liked that I knew Kanye. That was, you know, every other company that was, like, thinking about buying it was just sort of interested in the fact that I knew Kanye when he had braces. Uh, and then they, these guys had an actual thread line they wanted to work on. And that was awesome. But yeah, Watsky releases a book of essays in two weeks. So buy that, I guess. I don't know. That's $10. Cool. <laughs> anyway. Anybody else? Any questions? Shots fired at Watsky. Yeah. Hey. Um, I mean, just Blaze. Uh, we've become friends since, and uh, he's very polite to say he didn't like me. But I think he just didn't like my rapping. Now he says he was too busy, which is just a sweet thing to say. Uh, but that's how I got to Kanye. So you never know. If I would have worked with Just Blaze, I never would have worked with Kanye. Basically, Kanye was a cheap man's Just Blaze in 2000. If you couldn't afford Just Blaze or Just Blaze didn't want to work with you, you got the uh, other producer that was managed by the same guys, which was Kanye West. And uh, they had just started pitching him because Just Blaze got too busy. So they moved him out to New York so that people that just couldn't get they would then still get the commission off of the guy they sent you to. And the guy they sent you to was so talented that you immediately forgot Just Blaze was your main option. Um, and then also there was, uh, for Blau, the song I did with Fabulous and Redman, um, Redman had missed the first session, and DJ, who's here, uh, remembers we started calling rappers. That was the coolest thing we ever did, just started text-to-wing rappers being like, you nearby? Because I was like in New York, and it was like anyone could come get this $12,000 check. You know, I mean, it's just sitting here. Uh, so we called Beanie Siegel, who I spoke to on the phone that day. And then uh, we spoke to Nori. Uh, Nori was too drunk to come. Uh, and then Beanie talked to me and was very polite and was like, I really like the song. It's just I'm not willing to do comedy rap. He's like, I'm just, I'm doing sort of like serious drug stuff. And I was like, okay. And I was like, that's still funny, though. You should still do that for this song. That's still very funny. Uh, and he didn't think that was funny. But those would probably be the three. Just Blaze being the biggest one. That was tough because I really liked him. And he's a genius. Yes. Do you have any beef uh, with any other white rappers during that time, like One Track Mike and OT or something? Oh, God. I, I like to think that One Track Mike just like was like, someone just said my name in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> He's also dead. He's also in a coffin. I don't know why I did this. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, they were terrible. But uh, so was Bad Ronald, if you want to just throw out white guy names. Uh, I didn't like Kane. Do you remember Kane? He was a white Italian guy who was signed to Bad Boy. And he... It's just like, he was so corny. And they, he had a video that showed up on TRL. And it's not even in the book. I, he showed up uh, on TRL, a, a, a band called Dream, that, that, that bad boy had signed. And they put Kane, K-A-I-N, uh, in, the, in the song. Kane looked like, I don't know, he looked like an Italian chunk. 
from Goonies. Like, he looked like Chunk, but like Italian and like a little, and the Guido was kind of his thing, and I just hated him. I couldn't stand him, and so for no reason other than I need to be number one, yeah. uh, I did a DJ Clue mixtape somewhere. You could find it. And uh, obviously, Clue wants me to do something to catch attention, so I was like, well, I'll just make fun of that Kane guy. So I don't know where it is. It's online. You could probably find it, but over Bubba Sparks Ugly, I do an entire this song about Kane, where I call him like Diddy's Italian puppet. Uh, I, this is a bad, it's a, a mean one. Um, and so uh, year, uh, about a year later, I'm with MC Search at Justin's, which was Diddy's like forgotten New York steakhouse. And Search goes, oh, that's that Kane guy over there. And I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like hitting me like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. And then Serge goes, I'm going to go get him. And I was like, oh. And then he goes and gets him. And then Kane comes over to the table and he goes, Kane, this is Hot Carl. And I go, oh, good to meet you, Kane. And Kane goes, you know me. <laughs> and that's it. We didn't even say anything else. So I was like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And just took his hand. And I was like, the little idiot, scared battle rapper. To Kane, it was like nothing. I still was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah. So, like, the, the, the title's been out for a while, and we've heard Kanye West for a while. Do you foresee, or has anybody reached out to you from this camp, or do you foresee? Well, there's just the one story, and that's that uh, this week I was supposed to make a video that came out that said, uh, my name is Jensen, you might know me from my podcast, but what you don't know I was a 19-year-old rapper who worked with people like this and a young Kanye West. And Kanye, I loaned him money for a rental car. He never paid me, and I think today's the day we get it. If you see Kanye West in the streets anywhere for the next week and you go up to him and on video get my $300 I will give you $10,000 and I had the $10,000 I was given $5,000 from two different sponsors I had $10,000 in cash to give to someone who got it on video so I think it's the best idea ever my publicist is like oh my god this is we're going to make the news you're going to be on everything and so we get so excited and then uh, I go okay maybe I should call a lawyer I'm like me I mean I don't know maybe maybe I should I, it's like it's not that important but like maybe I should just call and feel it out you know what I mean like Ooh, whatever try it. And so I, uh, I call a lawyer and I go, so I have this idea. And he goes, oh, this sounds okay. And I go, I'm going to, and he goes, oh, this is terrible. Like, I can't even talk to you about this. And just like hangs up the phone. And, and so I call another lawyer and they go, no, he, people get murdered for less than $10,000. Like they will assault him. Like to, to give me the three hundred dollars, and then Kanye says no. I hit him, and then take three hundred dollars out of his wallet. And so uh, I found another lawyer. Uh, she was like, yes, I can help you. And then two weeks later, she's like, I can't help you. This is a terrible idea. Uh, and so. I'm pitching a show uh, right now that involves the company uh, that uh, it does some good things, but then also does uh, Satan worshiping with the Keeping Up with Kardashian show. So they run that show. And so I'm telling them the story when we're just sitting around. I'm like, oh, I was going to do this. And a oh, lawyer told me this. And they go, oh, Kanye's in there. And I was like, what? And they're like, Kanye's in that room. And I was like, what? And they were like, he's in the editing. He's editing the Kardashians with Kim and them. And I was like, oh, in the room? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And I was like, he's here, though? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to be here. Because I, I thought, like, if he gives me the $300, or it, I was like, this could ruin the book. Like, this is a bad idea. And so they go, yeah, but we want, he's looking for storylines for keeping up with the Kardashians. And I was like, oh. And I was like, so you guys think he would do it for the show? And they were like, yeah, he would definitely do it. I was like, I don't think he'd do it. Because, like, I, I remember him, and then I saw him say he's going to be president. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know if he has a sense of humor, you know? I don't think that's going to work. And they go, no, it's definitely going to work. And I go, all right, well, I'm going to leave. Like, you guys pitch him, but I'm going to go home. And they go, okay. So I go home. I tell a couple people, you won't believe this. They're going to tell Kanye. I think it might work. And they go, okay. And so I go home, no call, four hours, five hours, six hours pass. I call them, and I go, hey, checking in about the Kanye thing. They go, yeah, it didn't go well. Uh. <laughs> so they go, he's happy you're Okay. Uh, but he found it to be quote unquote very opportunistic and my immediate reaction is like can I put that on the book oh uh, and I was like no shit it's opportunistic it's very opportunistic You're, he's an opportunistic man I mean the Taylor thing and, the, and all these things that he does for publicity I was like ah, it's like calling the kettle black right I mean it seemed like a bad move and so that's all I know I know he found it opportunistic I know that he was happy that I didn't die uh, and that's it yeah and we saw Master and Commander together oh he clearly knows yeah no he knows he knows I mean a good move would be to send me the check right it ruins the whole thing I'd have nothing to talk about uh, if you get the audiobook version just uh, uh, if you don't have the time to read and it's a it's a great read it reads it has like Sedaris kind of economy and it's very very funny and it's very personal it's not easy to write a, a book about yourself 
um, but it really does read really really well. Uh, Thank you. Has there um, but the, on the uh, in the audio book. All the rap lyrics are read by a Shakespearean actor. That's right. I got a British Shakespearean actor. It's it's even better than it sounds. He's like swinging the trigger of the gat. He's very serious and he's like everything is done very straight. Very straight. Yeah, really, really good. And also, like, I, I wanted to thank, like, people like Maddie's here, obviously, and DJ and Evan Bogart and, and, uh, and DJ Sancho on this side, and a bunch of people who were involved, and you'll read in Ollie Opes, you're a jerk, man, just making that thing that I have to say your name, what a piece of shit. Uh, and so, like, you know, the thing is, is, like, when you read these stories, I'm even getting to a point, 50 podcasts in, where it's a, it's a TV show in my mind, I'm like, and then DJ walks in, and it's like, you know, I forget that we were all human beings, very young, and we all came up together, and uh, and it means a lot to me. This is not, you know, this it's, it's not a joke full, it's not a joke book it's it's there's a lot of emotion in it and uh i'm i'm just thrilled that i can share it with the people who were there with me at the time and that i didn't die uh or or hide in a hole and it's it's it feels good to sort of come out of it and and have them here it's important to me and my mom's here she comes to everything though it's great though she's really the slimer of the book because you know like you see ghostbusters and everyone's like oh it's good and then people go yeah but slimer and you're like yeah but slimer's like a ghost in passing he goes through eats hot dogs uh she's really become the slimer of this book a lot of people online sending oh i love your mom I was like, yeah all right calm down yeah she gets involved yeah calm yeah. down uh any other questions you guys yeah that's my mother yeah what is your question because I've asked for only men, Mom. That was something before. Not about. Come on, women. Say something. Oh, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, other than Kanye, are you nervous about other people like running them to the grocery store or like seeing you specifically? Are you afraid that sister is going to come after you? No. <laughs> I'd be thrilled, one. Uh, t- uh, no, you know, Will Will gets it the worst in the book. And uh, I don't like Will. So it's not, a, it's not, I mean, you're taping this. I don't care, whatever. Uh, I don't like Will. I think he's just kind of pompous, and I think he's weird. And, uh, and when I see him, it's weird. So it's no different than I wrote about the truth. Everything in there is real. Nothing, nothing I wrote about didn't happen. So uh, in my opinion, it's, uh, if you take it, you know, if you take it hard, just go home. I don't know. I, I'm happy that I did it. And, and also... Uh, things I held some stuff back in the book, and I think that those things are the things that probably aren't funny, and they're just sort of things that probably would have just hurt people's lives, and I wasn't interested in that. I mean, the fact that Cisco is porn—who cares? I guess I don't know. Maybe he's. Maybe it's, not, he's it's not that big of a leap. No, right? Right? Oh my yeah. God, that guy really of all people. The thong song guy has yeah, porno. A guy that wrote a song. Oh my God, what yeah, am I gonna yeah. do with myself? He just wrote it to make that video. I swear. <laughs> Upside down. Oh God, everything's flipped for me. Cisco might be a sex addict. <laughs> is that it? Do, Anyone else? No, oh. oh, this is a great guy. This, so, Clean, I love shouting you out. You have been, you were around at every show when I was a rapper. I was 19 years old, and you were, you were got to be, what, 17? You come in? Pretty, pretty much. You were at every show. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just buying the book. Uh, You're not in it. No, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been listening since the roll call days. Yeah. Tyrese, another guy that you weren't nice to was Ja Rule. Yeah. Ironically, I love him. Uh, I think he's just the worst, but like the best worst. It's like The Room, the movie The Room. It's like, I love The Room, but you like hate The Room. You don't want to watch The Room. Uh, I feel that way about Ja Rule. Uh, yeah, Ja Rule used to get it bad. And we also used to dress my mother up as Ja Rule. That was part of the act. Yeah, Ma Rule. Yeah, we called her Ma Rule. Uh, we used to dress her up. She'd come out with a rock, rock-aware jacket. My mother was a killer, yeah. Uh, sh- yeah, Ja Rule got it bad. I mean, everyone got it bad. Yeah, I'm also 19. You know what I mean? What do I have to lose? I don't think that Ja Rule has kids. I don't care about that stuff. You know what I mean? And like, um, today I did a Reddit AMA, which uh, it's a good way to find out people are garbage. But one thing that did come out of it that was, that was great is that he, uh, someone was asking me, like, do you want to go at someone? Or if you ran into blow, would you go at him? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, I'm a grown man. I have a mortgage. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not going to battle anybody. Like, I don't care. Like, if Ja Rule came up to me, I'd be like, man, oh, God, I'm a fan. I'm a pansy. (laughs) But yes, thank you for being here. It's amazing to see you here. God, you've been following me. What a bummer. Watch this weird cycle of life. No, it's great. It's great. Anyone else? Do we have any other? Any other? Yeah. So, when you were in your early rap career... Yeah and you were analyzing all these lyrics from all these different rappers, were you able to understand all of the references? All of it. I mean, my mother can vouch. I would then research it. If I didn't get that reference, I would research it. And that's, uh, I mean, it's the same way that, like, people you know looked at baseball cards. I did it for hip-hop. Like, I would look at who's, what's his batting average? I would do that for 
what Ice-T is talking about, or I would do that for, you know, I'd, I did, there was no genius.com. Yeah, I did write, I, do that without Urban Dictionary? It's what you do, and it's your main thing. It's, you know, and I didn't have anyone to turn to and ask, but we had UMTV raps, and we had things that I would piece things together through, and, and if I didn't get it, I'd just keep studying. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's, uh, there's like, you know, slang terms, you have no idea what they are, and then, you know, you figure it out eventually. Now I feel like, now when I listen to, like, Soldier Boy, I'm like, nope! <laughs> nope, don't get it, don't want to look it up, I'm fine. Uh, but back then it was like, you know, I had to know every word, I had to know everything that happened. And I mean, I, this is even crazier, like the Black Sheep record was such a big deal to me, right? So this is uh, such an incredible album. And there was a guy who was an A&R who worked on the record, who they use in skits, and they say his name, Dave Gossett, they say his name in skits. And, uh, and so later in life, I meet him at like a Best Buy. And I had him do the skits on my album. But like he was like, you're disgusting. Like, how do you know who I am? Like, and but I was like Dave Gossett, you know. And he like, there's no one else who remembered him. Like, and that was what I was for hip hop. And now I still do it to an extent. But I, I had like a real connection to the music, and I wanted to know everything. Yeah, it's helped a little. Yes. Uh, was there at any point during the roll call when you were winning that you got close to losing at some point? Did you ever like teeter or would you, did you destroy it every time? Not the roll call, no. The roll call was a, I mean, again, I was, I used to sit, this is during the roll call, to study, this is so weird, to train, I would put seven magazines on the floor. So I'd get seven magazines, and then I'd open them to pages, and then they'd be all around me, and then I would battle each magazine. So, so if it was physically, there was a blonde, okay, that one, and then physically a heavier person, that one, and then physically someone with glasses, that one. And so it was so... I, I was in the zone, and, and Maddie and Sancho, we've talked about it since, and I was just... I was a beast, and and then and then that would slowly, you know, that doesn't happen forever, and then you get out of it. But but later I would run into situations because I started doing live battles every week at, at the Roxy, and there every once in a while maybe someone would would take me a little bit, or there would be sort of moves, but I would usually get the upper hand by the end. How difficult is it to do it to someone on the radio? I mean, you can rip somebody in person because yeah. you've got something to go on, but well, see, I, I mean, especially if they go, if you're first, would yeah. you go first? Always, no, I go last. Oh, you go when last. you're champion, yeah, when you go you're last. The champ. Okay. Yeah, so you get to hear the so other you guys. Got to get the one time. Yeah, yeah. and you have like a, you know, there's always a, oh, Eric Kubici in the back. Hi, so important to me. Uh, that's incredible. Um, okay, so uh, there was like a thing where I would, I, like, I would. Uh, I, I would. Eric's a good example. So seeing him in this point is funny. It's like I, when they would put me in a battle, I, I would I would say I wouldn't have anything, and then I go okay, and then the last line would come, and I'd be like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, and Hot Crawl comes up with a hit, may even make Eric Kubici say oh shit, and then everyone's like, where did he? Go? How did he know Eric's in the studio? And I was like, well, because they said it right before, and so the other kids were writing their stuff. You know, for weeks they were 11 years old. <laughs> this was the biggest moment of their life, uh, and then I was just able to do that. That was that was a magazine. Eric being in the studio was a magazine. One kid, his voice being shaky was another. Ma- you know, that was another magazine. A kid who fumbled a word. That's another magazine. And that's. I mean, you have to be a disgusting person to to do that. <laughs> and I think I, I was at that time. <laughs> Yeah, that would, that, I mean, that would actually prepare you for the wrestling gig, right? Yeah, it's, but also... It's just for, that theater yeah. of in, intimidation, right? And so comedy, too. Yeah, you're looking for faults. It's a terrible... Like, I, I say in the book, like, I would go to Ralph's at the supermarket, and I'd be like, you know... If he had pop marks, I'd be like, all right, here we go. And in my head, I'd be like, Braille. His face is like Braille. You know, you're like, seal, you're like under Seal's eyes. You know, like, the things would just keep coming up really fast, and then that was it. Um, you've talked about your obsessive thoughts disorder. Yeah. Um, do you think that from an early age, yes. having to compartmentalize all these things yeah. had something to do with that? Yeah, I have obsessive thoughts disorder, which is a, uh, it's OCD with thoughts. It's the same. It's like the way that you have to wash your hands 80 times, I have to think about a rap battle 80 times. Uh, so yes, that helps. Like when, when, you, when you, don't, you don't become the kid with seven magazines for fun. You become because you're tortured and you have to make sure you have every situation. If a Puerto Rican kid comes up to battle you, you have to know everything to say about a Puerto Rican kid. And that's what, that's what I lived in, yeah. And yeah, that helps. Also hurts. When you were studying uh, rap lyrics pre-internet, were you, was there any particular artist or lyric or song that confounded you for a really long time that you can recall or haunted you? Well, I never wanted to know Snow Informer. <laughs> like, I know that's like one that haunts everyone, but I was like, I don't care. <laughs> and I'd slow it up and be like, I don't, what do I care? 
I don't want to know what that sounds like. But yeah, I mean, the Fushnikins were a tough one because that was a group I loved and it was like, uh, there was no chance. You know, and also they were like, I was just like, there's no way. But I would know most of it. And then Das FX was like a little lower than that and I would learn every, you know, every time he coughed as part of his lyric, I was like, <coughs> I like knew where to cough. I like knew everything, you know, if, if they stuttered, I knew where to stutter. So yeah, I mean, there were people that were harder than others, but I mean, you know, then you just have to give up. Like the Fushnikins, I don't even think they're saying stuff at times. <laughs> Until Shaq came. <laughs> and then you know everything they said. Anyone else? Anything else we could do yeah, signing questions. if you like. Yeah. Anyone want to ask one very profound question that I could end it all on and talk about like how life is important? Yeah. Or just ask, oh, somebody, Maddie. ask all right. about a celebrity. Maddie. I can name all of them. I can name all of them. All nine. I mean, I don't need to do it. I, it's embarrassing. No, I mean, uh, Riza, Giselle, Dirty Bastard, Inspector Deck, you goggles face killer. I mean, I could do that. You guys, it's not fun. It's really not. I mean, this is an easy one. Uh, is there... I no, I don't think you should judge their time. I was enjoying it. All right. I mean, they say it in songs. If you know the song, you just repeat it back. Uh, all right. Well, I thank you guys. I mean, and, and if you have nothing else, I mean, I, I really, this is an important book to me, and, and I, I'm just stoked that people get to read it, and uh, I hope that, like you, I hope that it inspires people well, to, it, yeah. Is there any talk of putting it, of developing it into anything? Because yeah, it reads like a movie. Is Ollie going to pop out now and put his hand up? Uh, yeah, they're talking about it. It would be cool. I mean, it would be, it would be a neat thing. It would be cool. Who would I mean. you have play you? Who's a young you? Uh, Hannibal Burris. Yes. No, I don't know. Uh, young me. Uh, I don't. I like that baghead kid or badhead kid. I think he reminds me so much of me when I was in Hot Carl from Silicon Valley. That little kid who's always like finding himself in really important situations. <laughs> he like does nothing and ends up as a CEO. Uh, felt like me rapping. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? I don't. If you, play you, uh, Susan Sarandon would be a good you. Susan Sarandon's a good you. <laughs> we signed Susan Sarandon. She's playing you. I don't know. You know who's been... Oh, whatever. I don't care. I want, I want Henry Winkler to be my dad. Well, I think we all do. Yeah. I, I think, think he's like think the that, perfect... I think that's just a thing. Isn't he yeah. just like a perfect dad? Yes. Anyway. Yes. But especially. thank you guys so much for coming. And I'll sign books and you guys can get all talk. Hey, man. So good. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.